Well, good morning, church family. How are we this morning? Man, aren't y'all thankful for a worship band like that? Oh my goodness. Just give a round of applause for our worship band. It, it always is so good to be ushered into the presence of God like that, man. Oh my goodness, we're so blessed to have talent like that. Hey, my name is George Willis. I serve as one of your pastors here at New Beginnings, and I am so thankful to be able to be here today. I'm eager to share the word with you today. I think the Lord has a message that is timely for us and timely for our church. Today, we're going to start a new sermon series. The sermon series is, ta- is called Together We. This is the third part of our journey through Philippians, and we will be in chapter two this entire sermon series. The primary focus of this series is this, that we are a people of God together corporately. So, so far throughout this study, Paul has, we have looked at Paul and how, what he says the church, a healthy church looks like. We've seen what he says a church looks like that lives for Christ. Last week, Pastor Daniel, he he preached in chapter one on verse 27, and this verse is like the thesis statement for all the Philippians. It says this, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This statement is so important, and we ask why. It's because, and Paul tells us so that others may see that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, Paul is going to go on into great detail in chapter 2 and on throughout Philippians and what it looks like to be worthy of the gospel. Paul is encouraging the church and giving this image of what he believes the church should look like unified together. He has this image in mind of what our church, what the church even today should look like unified. And when I think about this, I think about when you get this image, this your mind's eye of what you think something's going to look like. I know I was, when I was studying about this, I was like, man, one thing that I always think about that I, I know that I'm going to attempt to do and it never turns out the way that I think it is, is that's assembling any kind of desk that comes in a box from Walmart or Target. And I, I swear, I believe Satan designed these things specifically <laughs> for me. Because when I get this box open, all these parts come out. You got boards that say A, B, connect to C, to D, to E, and, and nothing makes sense. I end up with 20 extra screws and boards turned around backward. It never fails that I can, nev- I can literally never put together a, bo- a, a, a desk or anything out of a box from Walmart or Target. It drives me crazy. Another thing I was thinking about that is way more personal to me is when I proposed to my wife. I mean, I had this this great plan in mind. I went, I talked to his, her, her dad, and I got her, his permission to marry her and take her hand in marriage. And he was excited about it. I was going to Chicago, and I asked him, I said, what, what do you suggest for me to propose? Well, how should I propose? I'm not familiar with the city. And then being from Chicago and him being a big Cubs fan, he said, well, George, you got to do it at Wrigley Field. And Guys, I, my, my story's not that awesome. It didn't happen at Wrigley. I tried, but they were under renovations and I couldn't do it. So I thought, what's a, another good idea? I had a great something in mind. I said, I'm going to make her a Willis at Willis Tower. Have y'all heard of Willis Tower? It's like, it used to be called Sears Tower. It's one of the greatest, tallest buildings in the world now. So make her a Willis at Willis Tower is what my plan was. I had this whole thing in mind. So I get, I call the Willis Tower. They have 
proposal packages that you can purchase, of course. And what that looks like is they have a, a secret camera person that follows you and all this stuff. So I called and I said, hey, I want to propose to my wife at your, in your observation deck at Willis Tower. All right, so we get there the day of, I get out of the car, I have my ring in my pocket, I have this whole plan of how awesome this is gonna be. I get, I show up and I tell them, hey, I'm here for the, the construction package, which pretty much means that it's a secret tour. They're gonna take us up a different way, up a different elevator. So we go, we get on this elevator, and that's when all the problems started for me personally, because the elevator starts ascending up higher and higher, and while you're going up, if you've ever been in the Willis Tower, it tells you as you pass by landmarks in height. So it goes up to 1450 feet in the air, super high, right? And I am getting nervous, more and more nervous every, 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 every minute. It seems like I'm on the elevator for 35 minutes, it's just going straight up. And Finally, the door is open. My wife, she, my fiance, she is excited. We're actually my girlfriend at the time. She is excited, and she steps out. And I immediately, when I step out, I realize this is a horrible idea. <laughs> I, I can see out, and I know immediately I forget, and I'm reminded of how afraid of heights I am. And I said, George, what are you thinking? So she goes out, and she walks around, and she goes to the observation deck. And the observation deck, it looks like this. It's a glass deck that sticks off of the side of the building. And I see it, not really realizing what I was even thinking, because I, I, we start walking out. She gets into the deck, and she's just all, you know, right up against the window, having all kinds of fun. And I'm just, like, easing to the front like this. And I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to trust this glass, because I look down, and you can see right the cities, everything's down there. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'm, today, it ain't going to happen today. We're going to replan this. And then she looks back, and she's like, George, come on, come on, come on. I said, okay, so she grabs me by the hand. I walk out there. I'm so nervous. I'm shaking. And it just, it just didn't go the way that I envisioned it was going to go. But I did. I got down on my knee. You can see here. And you can probably see the fear in my eyes. I'm tetrified. And I'm like... Okay, let's get this over with so I can get out of this observation. But we did it. It, it. it ended up being okay, not like I planned it to be, and I never will go back that high ever again. <laughs> and so I tell you this story to think about what you, when you have something in your mind of what something should be, an image of something should be, what is that, what does the church look like to you? What do you imagine the church to look like? What's been your experience in the church? And would the people where you live, work, and play say that the church experience that they have would be that the church cares the most about Jesus and his ministry? What is, what is it that you imagine the church would look like? And is it the same as Jesus? And that's what we're going to be talking about all throughout the day. See, Pastor Tony Evans, a, a pastor that I love so much, he would say it like this, the church is no longer has the home field advantage in America. For so many years, churches were connected. We were divided. You had prayer in schools. You had all these different things where churches, you would see churches on every street corner that were thriving and excited. But now the churches are becoming divided. The culture is shifting. There's so much that you see in the news and in the world every day that will make it very clear to you that something just isn't right. The church itself is under a spiritual battle. And to be honest, right now, the church is losing. But because we believe that the Bible is true, we know that we will not be defeated. We can trust in the fact that if we stand together, it's unified, that we will never be defeated because 
of Jesus. Today, we'll be beginning our reading in chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And as you're turning there, if you're there, say the Bible is true because at New Beginnings, we believe that the Bible is true. Paul says this in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Today's sermon title is called Together We Stand. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that we will hear from you today. Lord, we ask that you will teach us how to be a people, a church, united for your honor and for your glory. Lord, we ask that your presence will invade this space today. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So Paul's idea for the church to be unified Well, it looks like this. I see in this passage of Scripture three different ways that we can achieve this unity that Paul talks about. And the first is this. We stand together unified in the mindset of Jesus. We stand together unified in the mindset of Jesus. Paul starts by reminding them that of Christ, what Christ has done for us. Paul is not saying these things so if there is encouragement in Christ or any comfort These are not questions. These are statements that he is saying. Think about it this way. Paul is saying, because you have encouragement in Christ, because there is comfort from love, because you have participation in the Spirit, it's because of these things and because that as believers we share the newness of life found only in Jesus, can we be free to encourage others and serve others. For you you mothers in the room, You can easily recognize Paul's reasoning in the way that he words this. You can think about it like this when you're talking to your kids. Did did I buy your clothes? Yes, I did. Did I wash your clothes? Yes, I washed your clothes. Did I dry your clothes? Yes, I, I dried your clothes as well. Then complete my joy by folding and putting them away. Right? Can you understand that? That's what that's what Paul is saying here. This is statements, not questions. But Paul knows that the church of Philippi is. It's a growing church. It's a seasoned church. But it's a church that's under attack. And disunity grieves the Spirit of God more than anything else. So he says to them, complete my joy by being of the same mind, same love, full accord, and of one mind. Paul is saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be seeking unity at all times. He is driving home this idea of us being unified because division will cause everything to crumble in your church, in your home, and everywhere else in all aspects of your life. Paul goes on constantly in his epistles regarding this same idea of keeping the same mind of Christ. 
In Romans chapter eight, verse five, he says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on things of the spirit. We should be setting our minds on things of the, of the spirit. In Ephesians in chapter four, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, the unity of the spirit. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He is calling us, the church, to concentrate and focus on unity. Uh, I think about how important unity is in, throughout your life and every aspect of it, and we see that all the time in today's world. I, I, I'm a big basketball fan. I grew up playing basketball. I love basketball. I'm a huge college basketball fan. I like the NBA. I just feel like they've gotten away from some of the basics of basketball. But I do watch it, especially right now during basketball season. And I will say this, I, I'm a, I am a LeBron James fan. I appreciate him. But I must, I must say that I do believe Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. I, if you, I know a lot of you here will appreciate that as well. But even though LeBron James has so many talents, I will say this, he is one of the greatest general managers ever in basketball. That guy can put together a team like no other. And he's getting older in age. He's like 38 now, and he's playing for the L.A. Lakers. And this past season, man, did he put a team together. Listen to this team that he, this all-star squad he put together. He has, it's him, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, DeAndre Jordan. All of these players together have over 55, 57 all-star selections, meaning pretty much that their careers from, has, they've had great careers. They have shown and proved that they are some very talented athletes. And, and they're all going towards their end of their careers. And LeBron has brought them all together to play on this super team. Well, Kevin Durant, who is also getting a little bit older, he's not going to let LeBron get a super team together and him not doing anything about it. So he goes to Brooklyn and he starts calling all these players together. Kyrie Irving. James Harden, LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffins, Paul Millsap. These all may sound just like names to some of you, but what I'm saying is there are some of the greatest talents that's played basketball in the last 10 years. That team has over 44 all-star selections on it. Both of these teams on paper should completely dominate the NBA. They should be just destroying their competition. But if you kept up with basketball, you might have heard the outcome for both of these teams. The Lakers, they ended up going 33 and 49. They didn't even make the playoffs. The Nets, they did make it, but they got swept in the first round. And why, why do you think this is? Why do you think you got two superstar teams, superstar players all together on this team with so many different talents, so much experience, but they have undeniable talent, but horrible, horrible seasons? Well, it's because they were not unified as a team. The team could not become unified because it must start with humility. When you have such great talents, somebody has to care more about the other person than themselves. And these teams, these teams struggled with humility. 
And Paul's telling us the same thing. Paul is telling the believers to be unified in the same mind, the same love, and to be unified as a church. He then goes on in verse verse 3 and he tells us, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. How that sounds easy, but how hard is it sometimes for us folks to, 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 to count others more important than yourself? Paul is being very clear here to state two of the main things that he sees will keep the church from having this same mindset, that selfish ambition and conceit. He, he goes straight to the sin nature of all of us. And he asks us, he urges us to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And when you pursue those things, it ends up in devastation. And selfish ambition could be you wanting to appear better than you are to others. Um, It could be that you are wanting to improve yourself, which is okay, but when it comes at the fault of others, then that's when you're going after selfish ambition. It's kind of like this, when he says, be humble. It's like if I were to say, be talking to you about humility, and I say, well, I pride myself in being the most humble person I know. Well, there's, there's humility right out the door, and enter pride. That's how that works. In James chapter 3, he says this, James says this, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in, in every vil practice. Selfish ambition will lead to disorder and destruction in your home and every, in every part of your life. So we must battle against that. We must keep others focused. Church, the first thing that we must hear is we must be a church unified by the mindset of Jesus. The second way we can achieve this unity is by following the examples of Jesus. If you look at verses four and five, it says this, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We stand together by following the example of Jesus. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of, of others. Have this mindset among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. These are statements that Paul says that seem very easy, but for us in today's world that is so Focus on yourself and advancing. It's very hard to do for you to focus on others. He goes on to tell us how we become more like Christ in in this chapter. And you can reference back to some other chapters I want you to write down that tells about the characteristics of Jesus. If you want to dig in and learn more about the characteristics of Jesus, I want you to to start at these chapters. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1, and Philippians chapter 2. We remember that by saying three ones and a two. So if you want to know more about the characteristics of Jesus, study on these chapters. Paul, it says in verse five here, he says, have the mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. 
To become more like Jesus, we must follow him. He sets the example when it, what it looks like is humility. When we follow the example of Jesus, we take the ministry of presence and service. Presence is in the likeness of men. Service is taking the form of a servant. He became like us. Jesus did the ultimate example of humility here when he became like us. He has always been God. John tells us that in John chapter one, verse one, when it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. As God, he could have tightly held on to that position as equal to God, separated from us, but he, instead, he left that position temporarily to come to be amongst us and to live amongst us and to serve us. Jesus emptied himself in Greek, that, that means it's called kenosis, which means he, he completely emptied. It means coming empty-handed. For God to become man was humbling enough, but not only did he become man, but he, he, became, he did not become man as a king or a ruler. He became man as a servant for us. The creator of everything, coming and serving his creation. Now that is humility. And I think about if... Jesus Christ can come and live amongst us and serve us. Why can we not serve our neighbors better? Why can we not serve our home better? Jesus set us an example of how to, what it looks like to serve. And I think about all the different ways in the Bible that you see Jesus serving other people. And one that stands out the most to me is when they're at the Passover, the Passover supper and Jesus is coming towards the end of his, his journey. He knows it's, it's what's about to happen. He knows that there's somebody sitting at this table that's going to betray him, betray him. And what does he do? He takes off his towel, he gets a basin, and he washes the feet of each one of his disciples, even the one that would end up betraying him. Jesus humbled himself enough to do that. And he says in John verse 13, John 13 verse 15, he says, For I have given you an example that you also should do, you should do just as I have done to you. So Jesus did this to show us an example of what it looks like to serve each other. Even when we may not disagree, even in the hardest of times, he showed us an example of what it looks like to serve each other. Jesus also called men all throughout scripture in his ministry. He would call men to leave what they are doing and come follow him. He called Simon and Andrew and they, what did they do? Immediately, they left their careers and they followed Jesus. And he said, I will make you fishers of men. He called Matthew, and what did he do? He left his career and immediately started following Jesus. To, to follow Jesus means you're gonna have to sacrifice and you're gonna have to lose things. Following Jesus is not easy, it's gonna be hard. But he were called to do it. In Matthew chapter 16, he says this, Jesus tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For the church to become unified together, we must follow the example of Jesus and that what Jesus left us to do. I think about my kiddos. I have five kids and my oldest daughter, Willow, she's three now. She just turned three the other day. And man, that girl loves to mimic whatever Noah and Mason are doing. Whatever No-No and Mason are doing, she is doing. If that's 
her crawling up on top of the counter trying to get down a glass because they got a glass, she'll do that. If that's her running around circles, she'll run and just mimic everything Noah and Mason do. And then right behind her, here comes Ruby. She's chasing after her, mimicking the person, that, what they're doing. And it reminds me of when I was a kid, we used to play follow the leader all the time. And in equipment, there was not a ton of things to do, so we play games like that as a kid. We play follow the leader. That means you pick somebody and you pretty much follow the example of what they do. If they're running around, you run and chase after them. If they, sometimes you'd have a leader that was a good leader and he didn't try to disrupt you very much. They just wanted you to follow them all day, go to their classrooms, do whatever that they wanted you to do, and it was easy following somebody like that. But then sometimes you had kids that they always wanted to do the most. They would roll around on the ground, so you had to roll around. They would jump up and down, do jumping jacks, so you had to do jumping jacks. They did whatever they could to distract you. And I feel like this war that we're in, we have been called to follow Jesus, but sometimes we get distracted and start following a different leader, a bad leader, a leader that could be called busyness of life. We could get distracted, and next thing you know, we're busy all the time, and we miss our priorities of what our relationship with Jesus is. Is it spending time in the Word? No, because we're too busy all the time. We could get distracted by following a leader of bad relationships or even the culture of what's going on at your school or in your workplace. We can get distracted by leaders that ultimately disrupt our relationship with Jesus. But if we keep our eyes focused on the example that our leader has, our good leader, Jesus, then it will, we will not be led astray. Jesus never leads us astray. He always is there. He always is true. When we go away, he never leaves. He always is chasing after us. So if we keep our eyes on our leader and follow the example of Jesus, we should be able to serve people better. Jesus showed us actions over and over and, and shows us the importance of being a servant. That servant leadership, that servant's heart is so important, and Jesus made it very clear. And for us to have that servant leadership, we must continually try to find ways to serve others better and to put people before ourselves. And so today I have a couple of very practical ways that I believe that we can humble ourselves and serve others, and it also reflects Christ to others. So one is this, love others deeply. In Romans chapter 12, verse 10, it says, to love one another deeply and brother, as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Take the lead in honoring one another. That's important. Don't wait for somebody to honor you. Take the lead into honoring somebody else to love each other very deeply. And what does that look like where we live, work, and play? Well, where we live, it means really taking the time to listen to our family, taking time to listen to your spouse, slowing down, the day. Put the phone away for just a little bit and listen to what is being said. And that goes for our kids as well. For us to love each other deeply, we must, our kids must not only know that we love them by our actions, they must know and hear it out of our mouths. Tell them that you love them, even when you are upset or you don't agree with what is going on in your house. Pray with your family often. I say this a lot of times, the easiest way can be awkward sometimes praying because uh, you get so busy and you're rushing. Next thing you know, you've been all day and you haven't prayed over your family. Just take a time every morning and have a morning huddle and say, how can I pray for you today? What is one thing that's happening at your work or at your, at, at, at your school that I could be praying for you? 
And just take 30 seconds to a minute, just pray for your family. It's that important. At work, how can we show, how can we love others deeply at work? Show the fruit of the Spirit in your conversations. Show the love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness in all of your conversations and your interactions with people at work. I know that can be difficult, but if we're both pursuing that, that, same, that same spirit of kindness and goodness, then your opportunities to share and minister and to your coworkers will be great. Listen to your coworkers, and when you're listening, pray for opportunities to speak truth into their lives in a way that is encouraging. And another way that you can affect people and love people dearly at your work is this, be different but yet approachable. The Bible tells us in John chapter 17, it says, I have given them your your word. The word was hated and hated by them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one, that that they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. What he's saying here is we are to be in the world. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. We can minister to people uh, and still be approachable by people by being, even though we're in the world. What does this look like where we play? It means that you have an ear for your friends. You listen and you just have an opportunity to just hear what people are saying. Your coworkers, the people that you go and you have hobbies with, the people that you are on the same baseball teams with, you just listen and wait for opportunities to share Jesus with them. The second way is this, serve others intentionally. Matthew chapter five, verse 16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. What does this look like in your home? How can you intentionally serve your wife or your husband better? What are ways that you can serve them better? Think through that. I say oftentimes in counseling, if you're trying to outserve your, your spouse, if each one of you are trying to outserve each other more every day, then you're going to have a happy home. I learned that. Uh, I followed that example. I'm trying to follow that example today. I see that done so often in my, in my mother that's here. They, they're about to celebrate 50 years of marriage, and my father would serve her the best way that he could. They would serve each other daily. In your work, you look for opportunities to serve your coworkers. Is there a coworker who their birthday is coming up that you can surprise them? Is there somebody that recently had a baby that you could take a meal to? Just be creative in ways that you can serve one another and make it very intentional for the opportunity to, for God to get the glory. And one of the best ways that we can be intentional in serving others is by simply listening. Simply listening, not with any objective or any motive behind it. Just take the time to listen to one another. Paul finishes out this text in verse 8 by reminding the church of this, to glory in the death of Jesus. Though he came as a servant, he never lost his deity. The third way that we achieve unity as a church is this, we stand together by glorying in the death of Jesus. It says this in verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and by by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When we glory 
in the death of Jesus, we proclaim that it is not about our service, but about his sacrifice for our salvation. When we glory in the death of Jesus, we proclaim that it is not about our services, but about the sacrifice for our salvation. Let me say that in another way. It, doesn't, it means that it doesn't matter if you grew up going to church or if you serve at the mission every Saturday or all the deeds that you've done in your life. None of that matters if you haven't believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all of that is for nothing. If you have not received the ever-restoring life of Jesus, then all of those good deeds are for nothing. And so how, how do we make sense of this? How can we grasp this as humans, this, this idea of Jesus, God coming and living amongst us as men and women? How, do we, how can we grasp this idea, this concept of that? And I, I think about this story I heard of an African missionary um, in, a, in an area, in a, a desert area of Africa. Me and my team are about to leave on Tuesday and go to East Africa, to Burundi. It's a lot different climate than where this missionary was. But in one of the things that we'll do there is we'll have the opportunity to celebrate water wells being, being dug and drilled in that area. We'll be able to go and see the water wells that the Roots Network, who we partner with, has helped provide, and our church has helped provide for people to have clean water. People oftentimes are traveling miles just to get a gallon full of water to drink and to bathe with. And so we're gonna have the opportunity to be a part of that, but in this story I, I heard about this missionary in Africa, he was in a desert area, and there was this village chief there and very much so in this culture, some of these smaller villages have chiefs, and the chiefs are always very easily to distinguish against. You know when you see a chief because he has this big headdress on. They call him the headdress that everybody knows that you're the chief because you're gonna have the headdress. It's always the person that's usually the most capable man, the stronger man in the area. And this village, in, in, where this missionary was, was stationed in Africa, they needed water desperately. And it wasn't easy to drill wells like we we're gonna be able to see done in Burundi. These wells had to be done by hand. And it took men going and making a big hole and they're shoveling out dirt and it go down and down, deeper and deeper, descending further and further into the darkness, into this nasty hole that you can't even see up from because you get so far down until you hit water and then they can start bucketing the water up. But until that point, it's a long, massive hole that takes a lot of time to get to just to have clean water. And he tells this story about how there was a day of work and there were men that had been there digging all day long, making this big hole and they had been descending down, taking dirt back up and back and forth down. And then one man, they were taking a break and the man got too close to the edge of the, the hole and he falls in and he falls all the way down, hitting from side to side until he falls down at the very bottom of this well. And he's by himself, his legs are broken. Nobody can figure out what to do. How are we gonna get this man out of this well with his legs broken? So what do they do? They go and find the chief, the most capable person who can get it out. So the chief comes, he, he, he responds quickly and he's looking and he's assessing the situation. He looks down and he sees this guy broken, 
His legs are broken. He's in this filth by himself. And what does he do at that time? He takes his headdress off. He sits it to the side and he starts descending step by step by step down into the deep darkness of this hole by himself to get to the bottom, to get this man. He puts the man on his back and he starts climbing back up by himself and he pulls this man all the way out of this well, out of the darkness, out of the filth, out of the disgust. He went all the way down to this man and brought him out and saved him. This chief did that. He put his headdress aside for that. When he took that headdress off, do you think at any moment he became less chief? Do you think that there was any person there that would say, this man is not the chief anymore? No, all he did was conceal his greatness. He concealed his greatness for just a moment to go serve his people. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus, God, in human flesh, came to live among us. He took off his headdress, put on the form of flesh, came down and he dwelled in the dirt, the hole, the well, amongst all the sin and all the brokenness of this world. He came for us to save us. He did not become less God. He emptied himself for us. And he could have just as easily stayed in heaven, being coexistent with God and separated from us, but no, he had a mission. He concealed his glory and he came to us. He went to the deep, the deepest part of our deprived world and put on flesh to ransom us. The writer of Hebrew would say this in chapter four, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows our struggles. Let, it, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We must stand together, church, by glorying in the death of Jesus. What does that mean? What does that mean for you specifically? What does that mean for you to glory in the death of Jesus? I know many of you have heard the passage, John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know that, we hear that all the time, but so often we forget about verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came and he lived amongst us for us to save us. So what does that mean for you in this room? When you think about that, when you think about Jesus sacrificing his life for you, what does that mean? I wanna take some time right now for us just to think about that to reflect on that. So right now with every person's head bowed, I want you to think in your eyes closed, just reflect on what glorying in the death of Jesus means for me. For some of you, that death of Jesus is praising him for what he has brought you through. You've been through the mud. You've been at the very bottom of that that well for 
so long and Jesus brought you out of it and you know it and you're so thankful. You just want to praise him for the way that he's broken the chains of addiction or maybe he has reconciled a family, your families, and you just need to praise him. And maybe for some of you, it's, you need to, to repent of your complacency. You've known Jesus for so long, but you've just been sitting on the sideline. And now you want to be made on fire again and you need the Holy Spirit to just set you on fire for his mission again. Maybe that's what you need to, to reflect on. And for others in this room, there may be that you've been at the bottom of that hole for, for way too long. And you, say, or you, and you think that there's nothing that anybody could ever do to get me out. There's no God, there's no person that could love me and care about me enough to understand what I've done. It may be that there's an addiction that you think that you can never break free of. Or a, or a family member that you can never restore, or you can never reconcile with. There might be some of you that have been in the mud so long that you don't even know which way is up from down. But I, I'm here to tell you that Jesus came to this world for you. And all you gotta do is put out your hand and take him and let him change you. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died, was raised again, then you will be saved. So there's many of you in this room that I believe that you're right now in a point in your life where you're thinking, there's nothing that I can do anymore. You're at the point of complete surrender, but you don't know what that looks like. You don't know how to follow Jesus. You don't know what it means to follow Jesus. Well, the first thing is this, is surrender to him. So as, as you're reflecting right now, there may be somebody in this room that needs to hear this message and your heart is beating a thousand miles per hour and you don't know what to do, but I'm telling you, the biggest decision that you can make right now is just responding in obedience to Jesus and that's the follow -up. There may be some online that are hearing this message and you're like, that's me, that resonates. Guys, if that's you in this room, Jesus calls us to be bold in this moment. If you're tired of being in the mug by yourself and you're tired of trying to go about life on your own, I want to give you the opportunity for that to change for you. So is there anyone in this place right now that would say, I am ready to surrender myself to Jesus? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's resonating deeply in your heart and you're ready to make a change, I want you to be bold enough right now to just slip your hand in the air. There may be things in your life that you think God just won't understand, God just won't Accept this, he, he came for you. There's nothing in your past, present, or future that is bigger than Jesus. So is there anyone in this room that would be bold enough to say that that's me? 
and I'm ready to take the step out and follow Jesus. I don't want to stay seated anymore. I want to follow him. There may be some of you in this place that you're ready to be set on fire for Jesus again. You're ready to go out and just do whatever God calls you to do. You've been following the wrong leader for too long. And you know God has a calling on your life, but you've been hiding from it. And now you need to, you're bold enough to say that I'm ready to do that. Well, in just a minute, we're gonna have people, there's people here now that wanna pray with you. They wanna go through this with you. So come, be prayed over. There might be some of you in this room who were so far consumed by the world that you just need prayer. Come and be prayed over. And maybe there's some people here that you, you haven't, you've known Jesus for so long, but you've never been obedient in baptism. And you're ready to go forward and proclaiming that Jesus is your Lord. There's a lot of ways that you can respond right now, but none of those involve sitting and staying the way that you came in here. You need to reflect on why we glory on Jesus's death and resurrection. So in just a moment, as we begin to worship, I pray that you'll be bold enough to move and come talk to one of our prayer partners. Don't leave this way, this place the way that you came in. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you that you never stop pursuing us. I thank you, God, that you took off that headdress and came to this earth for us, for our brokenness. Well, I thank you that you see us as your children and you never run from us. God, I pray that you will move in this place. I pray that you will convict hearts in this place. I pray that so many people will leave this place different. God, will your will be done in this place in this moment. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.